With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on our Facebook, YouTube and Twitter channels and later on our podcast channel. If you are listening on YouTube or on our podcast channel, please remember to hit that like or subscribe button and give us a follow and share amongst you and your cast United supporting friends and family. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined as usual by Aaron Stokes. I'm back. It's a pleasure to be back, Aaron. Cast United still winning. It's glad to have you step into the role as host. And Aaron, I'm sure you guys will agree, did a wonderful job, but... I'm sure Aaron will be the first to admit he probably enjoys it a bit more sitting on that side of the desk behind that microphone. And you may notice if you're watching and for you guys listening, Aaron hasn't got a microphone cover on his microphone because he shamelessly <laughs> gave it out to a rival podcaster. There's a bit of context there, so you probably heard I got married uh, a week ago. And the best man was Christopher Woff, who of course works for The Athletic, used to be here at The Chronicle. And I, uh, I turned to look at Chris Woff as he was delivering his best man speech. And to my horror, he had the Everything is Black and White podcast microphone cover. Who You, you give it to him, Aaron. Yeah, look, there was, some, there was some dirty tactics from myself to sneak it out of the office behind your back. And look, I've got to apologise, but hopefully it lended itself to the day and the wedding day. It was a wonderful day, the best day ever. It was a wonderful speech as well, but there was one claim. And this is the worst thing about you giving him that microphone cover. He claimed that this podcast, the Everything is Black and White podcast, is the second best Newcastle United <laughs> podcast out there. Scandalous, really. I mean, we all know that's nonsense. He said that while having our own microphone enough to say it. I'm scandalous. So, task to you guys. Go on to um, where, you, where you've subscribed and leave a little comment and rating review as well, and we'll prove that we are the best uh, Newcastle United podcast out there. Um, but as I said, I'm back, and Newcastle still winning games. Of course, they beat Chelsea 1-0, Aaron. And I thought it was a fantastic performance. Never really feared Chelsea getting back into that game. Yeah, I thought the performance from the first minute was spot on. You know, even when it wasn't going Newcastle's way in front of goal, I thought the manner of play, you know, very on the front foot, not giving Chelsea an inch whenever they had possession, playing some really lovely football, you know, the little triangles that they've been playing with, Bruno, Trippier, Almiron, Longstaff. I thought it was really, really impressive. Um, and obviously, look, topped off by a fantastic goal by Joe Willock. He's playing out of his skin. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if the World Cup was just a couple of weeks ahead, you feel like he might have been playing himself into contention. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I think under any other England manager, perhaps, but we know Gareth Southgate yeah. doesn't really pick on form. Seeing Callum Wilson in the side and James Madison in the squad as well, it is it's rare because it's not what Gareth Southgate does. He likes to pick player, players he knows. And, um, you know, I think in future years, if Joe Willick continues this form, then he will be in, with a, in a, within a shout to get into the England squad. But no, I, I disagree on that point simply because we know what Gareth Southgate is like. But I, I did really think 
that was Joe Willick's best game. And he's been really good over the last few weeks to a month. But I thought that is Joe Willick's best game in a, in a long, long while. And that is quite something to say considering the level he has been at over the last month or so. Yeah, he's been fantastic ever since. Ever since the Fulham game, really, where they won 4-1 on the road. And it was something that me and Matthew Raisbeck spoke about last week on the podcast about how he's really been the standout performer. And there's a lot of fans starting to notice that. First, it was Joe Linton having the revival. Then it was Miggy. And now you start to feel that the World Cup's just come at a bad time because Willick really looks like the player that's going to actually step on, um, really kick on and show what he can do because he's been fantastic. He's been central to everything that they've done in recent weeks. And I think I'd have to agree that Saturday's game was, was probably one of his best in a long time. And the secret, I don't think it is much of a secret, actually, it's confidence. Because we know these players have got the ability and talent. There's a reason why Newcastle splashed all that money on Joe Willick. There's a reason Arsenal held on to him for so long. It, confidence here is playing a massive part in the revival of so many players who were here before Eddie Howe came manager, before the Saudi takeover, uh, the co-Saudi takeover. Confidence, it, 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 in many ways, is probably the most simple ingredient to it all. Yeah, definitely. And look, Eddie Howe's just got this ability of... of taken even fringe players and make them feel really loved we've seen what he's been like with every single member of his squad and you know the confidence that's radiating through the full group we saw it with Miggy a player who's really a confidence player and he's obviously had that in abundance recently and I think Willick's the same you know when he went on that long run when he first signed seven goals in seven games you felt like every week he was just growing in confidence um, and I think that's what we're seeing now and it's just a group that is just radiating you know, they're going into every single game knowing that they can beat whoever's in front of them. And we've seen that so far. And look, Eddie Howe has sort of tried to play it down recently about the World Cup break. He says, look, we knew it was coming. We've got to just deal with it. But you just want your Cassie United to keep playing games because you just don't want this momentum and this run to ever end. So mm. interesting to see how he deals with that over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully, you know, they aren't too... You know, it isn't too much of a setback when they come back towards the end of December. You see, a few weeks ago I posted that this World Cup break comes at the wrong time for Newcastle United and the, the replies on Twitter were very split. Some, well, actually most were saying that it comes probably at the right time because then you can get Isaac back, you get St. Maxim back to full fitness. But I, and I think the people who replied to me with those responses and, you know, I, I can see where they were coming from, I think now they may feel slightly different because Newcastle's momentum then has gone up a notch to what it is now. And, you know, they are on such a good run. It's going to be a difficult task for Eddie Howe to keep that going with the players going off to Qatar. Yes, he's got a selection of them who will be in, at the Saudi training camp, but it's going to be difficult to keep that and, 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 you know, capture it, bottle it for the returning game, which will be that League Cup clash against Bournemouth. Yeah, look, Eddie Howe's trying to look at the positives. As I say, we've asked him in recent weeks how he felt about the break and as always, you know, he, he, he wasn't wasting too much time dwelling on it. He'll use it as a, a period to get some rest in the legs of players who've had a hectic schedule. As Do you, you think say. they look tired though? I don't think they look tired. I don't, I don't I don't. think they look tired on Saturday. I think there's been spells and recently even when they've been winning that I think they've looked a bit leggy. But Saturday I thought, I mean, they went through 97 minutes of, and they didn't, you know, let their... Um, energy levels drop once he will use it though as I said to rest a couple of players that maybe you know I mean Dan Byrne has played every game you know he's nursing a shoulder injury share has been in the wars stuff like that I know he's going to the World Cup but um, and as you say Isaac back maximum back 
big players back that will, you know, I mean, Isaac will be like a new signer. I know it's a cliche, but um, him coming back and, you know, having a good period with the team is going to be a boost. And we've seen in previous months under how they went to Dubai, they went to Saudi, they had these warm weather trips away and every single time they come back and they're straight back on it. So hopefully it, it happens this time. But if you're asking me now if, if the World Cup's a, a welcome break, I'd say no, because I say I just want this team to just keep going in this vein of form for as long as they can. Very important that they went into the break though with a win. Yeah, massively because look, Chelsea at home, they went in favourites and you know it's not often you can say that when they're playing Chelsea. And look, it wouldn't have been the end of the world if they'd lost, but how good is it to now know that they've retaken third place at two points behind Manchester City? I mean, who would have had that um, you know, in their heads before the season started? Massive that they ended on a high and they didn't have that little minor setback to go into this break and be doubting on it, but... Um, yeah, just absolutely fantastic what they've been doing the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of talk about expectations. It is often the thing that's discussed. Where can you cast that finish? And I'm sure I'm assuming a lot of people that are watching this and listening to this will have different uh, positions in their minds to what they had at the start of the season, to maybe what even they had a, m- a month ago. But Newcastle United third in the Premier League, as you mentioned there, and two points behind City, slice second, and seven off the top. Now, if they continue this good run of form, there's two stages in there's There's one, which I think most people may be at now, was where you see actually they are serious contenders for the top four. Yeah. They continue this run of form, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. You then may have to look at it and say, well, actually, are they serious contenders for the title? I think it's me that's going to have to get your feet back down on the ground rather than the other way around. I think, look, you're, you're right, and I think Europe now has to be the aim. They're sitting nine points clear of seventh. Um, which we know gets them a conference league if if they finish there. So for me now, anything less in Europe is quite a disappointing season. And and you know it was the other way around at the start of the season. Everyone's saying, "Oh look, if we can finish seventh or eighth, how fantastic!" Title, I don't know. Look, they've got a big advantage to other teams, and that's the fact that they've got no European football. They've got four or five players at the World Cup compared to you know a team like Manchester City, where pretty much every player is going apart from Haaland. Um, so they, they've got a big advantage, but look, I, I, I think it's too soon to be to be talking about the title. Um, as much just as to clarify, <laughs> just to clarify, I'm not saying Newcastle no, are title challenges, but I think if, if the form continues in this way, you get to maybe February time, yeah. and you know they still got to play Arsenal twice. If they're still maintaining this run of form, you know people will look ahead and say, well, actually, put a put a, put these put a nice run together. Arsenal drop a few points, then Newcastle may be able to to mount a challenge. But I do think, for me, we're at the stage now where you say anything less than European football, mm-hmm. just based on what they've done so far, yeah. would probably be a disappointing season. They would they would have to have quite a huge <clears throat> drop off in the second half of the season to think that they're going to let you know a team that's in seventh or eighth now overtake them. You know that's a big drop off and. Even though it didn't, you know, initially work for Eddie Howe when he came and he struggled to get his first win. Ever since, you know, February, they haven't haven't missed a beat. There's been no periods of games where they're struggling to find a win. You know, it's it's been very very consistent, and I don't think that's suddenly going to change overnight. I think if you get a couple of big players back over December, like Maxi and Isaac, as we said, if they strengthen with one or two more, or maybe even just a little bit more depth in the January window, every chance that you know they can still be in and around this position. At, um, you know, come March and April. Christopher Gillen there says, I still think Newcastle will finish sixth. Sixth, 
See if I can get my words out. We've got Darren Bailey here saying fourth is a strong possibility. And you mentioned there what they could maybe do in January, getting these players back as well. Because that is something they're going to need. They're going to need to strengthen for the bench. And of course, the players they'll bring in, you would imagine, will be players that can really fight for a first team place. But that said, you look at the bench and there's not many game changes on the bench. We know Alan St. Maxman was on there. He didn't get off against Chelsea. We know that Isaac will come back and that'll probably see him on the bench or maybe Callum Wilson. You know, there's, there's stuff to be done there. But other than those two, there's not really many game changes on the bench and that could really impact what Newcastle can achieve in the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think we know that Newcastle, while their first team has been fantastically consistent, there has... There is niggling concerns about their squad depth and, as you say, players that can bring off the bench. I mean, you know, me and Gibbo were talking about last week, that cup game, where really, you know, a lot of players should have been banging on the door and they didn't really hit the heights that we thought. Shelby was probably looked a bit rusty. Maxi didn't, probably didn't do himself any favours in the short term. Um, so, look, I don't think there's any real... You don't look at that team and think there's any glaring holes, do you? You don't think, oh, we desperately need a right midfielder, as we thought in the summer, where, you know, obviously Miggy stepped up. But, but I think I think I sorry, I'm gonna, but you, you don't. But I think what you do, you look at it and you you say, well, if they are get at an hour point and it's nil nil, or they're seventy five minutes and they're one nil down, you look at the bench and you say, well, who can you really yeah. bring off? Because no disrespect to, to Jacob Murphy or, or or Ryan Fraser, they've not really done it. So you, you would imagine when St Maximum's fit, he probably comes back in the side. Yeah. If he doesn't, he's on the bench. He's probably the only game changer, really. But it was quite interesting that he didn't come off the bench against Chelsea. And you wonder that's because does how trust him to have that defensive discipline, which was so key against Chelsea? I, I think, yeah, I, I did notice that he didn't come off. And you you think a player like Maxi will have really wanted to play in that game, having only you know had a brief period of time in recent matches. But he brought Jacob Murphy on for Willock at a time where they just scored. They needed a bit of defensive stability and Murphy obviously offers that. He offers a lot more running. Um, and look, and maybe that's the reason. Maybe he didn't want to risk him in case, you know, he suffered a setback this close to the to the break. We're not sure, but I, I do agree with your point. Maxi, you know, walks back into that team if he's anywhere near um, full fitness after the break. Then you've got to work out how to get Isaac in there, which you know, some people have been saying, do you put him out on the right or do you sit him in a two and change the system? But my point was that I don't think you look at that team and think there's a, in a start on 11, there's a glaring omission that you really need to strengthen in January. I think in January, they should just be going out and buying one or two players to maybe plug the gaps in the depth rather than, you know, thinking, oh, we desperately need a centre midfielder that, to walk in. Is that slightly more concerning maybe in a, in a different way? Because... Yes, you don't want to say we desperately need X, Y, Z, but if I say, right, who are you bringing off the bench to win this game? And you, and, and you, you would look at it and you say, well, okay, he does this all right, he does that all right, but there's not a name where you say, bring him off, he will win you a game. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I, I do agree with your point, and I, and I think it's someone how we'll definitely be considering in the, in the January window. I think he'll be looking at that team and thinking we probably need one or two more to keep this, you know, top four type of form going. Um. But I think you also won't want to, you know, disrupt that that group too much because the feeling that they've got in that dressing room now, where every man is, you know, as I've said earlier, you know, full of confidence. I don't think you'll want to disrupt that too much in Jan. Do you think that gets harder as time goes on to to keep that unity within the dressing room? We see it down at Old Trafford with Ronaldo. This 
fantastic player. Yes, he's new in the end of his career, but he's still better than most. But he's got an ego. And yeah. he thinks he should be playing week out. And he doesn't care what the manager thinks because his ego, you know, puts him in a position where he thinks he's right every single time. Does it come at a point, and maybe it might come this January when Newcastle are indeed battling for top four, even the title, um, where you maybe have to sacrifice a little bit of that unity for a better quality player? Or do you think Eddie Howe will stick for as long as possible to bring in maybe someone who's got a better attitude than they are a player? I think for as long as he can, Howe will keep to this manner of if they're not the right characters, they don't get in the dressing room. But let's say in three or four or five transfer windows time, if Newcastle are still in and around the top six, you know, we can't you can't find Brunos all the time where they come in, they're brilliant, but they've also got a brilliant attitude. Sometimes there was there is gonna be players who are just that good. You sort of have to excuse that maybe sometimes they don't do the running like a Maxi or someone like that. And I've admired how his strategy so far, I think, for what Newcastle needed at the time, that that stance of we need the right player uh, personality in has, has worked wonders but you know as I say it, that can't go on forever and look we're not saying that Newcastle are going to go out and sign Ronaldo but some of these players that have got huge statures and they know they can bring so much to this Newcastle team hopefully they don't think oh we can come in and we can just you know not put the effort in because we're bigger than the club and that's what you know we've seen with Ronaldo over the weekend coming out and speaking about Manchester United and belittling a club that built him really um, and that's what Newcastle need to try and avoid further down the line once they, you know, they, they have this run on a more permanent basis. Mm. Back to that, that Chelsea game. And what I found so brilliant to see is that you've got a big team in Chelsea coming to Newcastle with their priority just to simply frustrate Newcastle. They know they're going to have to be at the very best to get anything from this side. And often these big teams are failing you know, in their game plan. And it's it's one thing to say that, but then when you take a step back and you think that this time last year, Newcastle were bottom of the Premier League. How on earth Newcastle are third in the Premier League? That change around in such a short space of time to have these big teams coming up to the North East, coming to Newcastle, and they're fearing Newcastle. And that's happened in 12 months. Yeah, it's It's scary to think about. I think, like you say, there's one thing beating these big teams, but... and then, Obviously, Rafa got some big scalps when he was manager, but there was always it was always such a defensive performance. And yes, it did the job, but it's not what fans want to see. Now they've got the best of both worlds because they're beating the top teams, but they're actually doing it by making them look pretty average. Now, I thought Chelsea were pretty average on Saturday. I think Graham Potter just looks like he does not have a clue how to organise this team. He was changing it, and you know, I mean, he's putting Conor Gallagher at right back. He's changed it from a five to a four. It was just they they made it easy for Newcastle, but. Newcastle also were just so attacking, so brave from the from the off. And I think whatever Howe does from now till the day he leaves, which is something I've said on the pod before, whatever happens now, he'll always be remembered for, for the boss that actually said, no, you know what, Newcastle United are going to give it a go. And it worked as well. And, I mean, the frustration of Chelsea was, was clear to see. I mean, they were really, really angry then in that game. And it was good to see Newcastle United's players you know we talk about how unified they are and of course no one wants to see fights break out on the pitch but you know every man in that squad has got you know their teammates back yeah and, and how touching it in the presser after he said that you know he really likes the fact the players were standing up for each other I think you've got some 
as well as we've got some really technical, you know, silky players in that squad now, we've got some really, really tough players. I mean, don't know how so many players were trying to square up with Dan Byrne because I wouldn't like to fight him. You I need a you've step got, ladder. You've got Joe Linton as well, who was really putting himself about. You've, I mean, Jacob Murphy, probably the most timid player that we've got in this squad. He was running over and shoving Havertz and just really good to see that the players have got each other's back and, and you know, it carries through that team trip. He has such a leader. Joe Linton's really coming into his own as this enforcer. Um, and I mean, look, you said that you don't want to see it, but I thought it was really good to see that they were actually... You know, they were really sticking to their guns and Chelsea were really angry in that last seven minutes um, and Newcastle just didn't make it easy for them one bit. I just love the fact that what we saw in that game, we saw loads of different sides in Newcastle and we saw them with the game plan, yeah. taking the game to, to, to the opposition. We saw them defensively sound. We saw them with a bit of fight. And then at the end, we saw something else which was just throwing your body in front of the ball, you know, and it wasn't pretty at times to get over that line. But that that brief moment when Sean Longstaff goes in, yeah. and then I think it's Dan Byrne, Dan Byrne and then there's another tackle that flies in. It reminds us of that that game under Rafa Benitez where there was a where it were two minutes. The Leicester game where everyone just, just yeah, everyone had and, it tackles, yeah. You know, but as you've alluded to, that was largely what happened under Rafa Benitez. It was largely Newcastle backs to the wall, yeah. defending for the lives, hit them on the counter, and see what happens. But under Eddie Howard's not. They're going to take the game to the opposition, but they've still got that backs-to-the-wall mentality should they need to call upon it, which they did need to against Chelsea. You've just got so many different elements, and that is why I think Newcastle are doing so well because it's not just one thing they're doing well. There's five or six things, five or six different approaches to games. Yeah, and look, there was times in those last 20 minutes where Chelsea were starting to sort of find their feet in the game and, and our defence just nullified them. I mean... This back four, it, it's hard to remember a time when you had a Newcastle defence playing this well. I mean, Trippier for 12 million looks like a bargain. Dan Byrne, play him left back forever. And I just think Botman and Shea's partnership, I mean, that those last five minutes, as you say, when the, the backs were against the wall, huge tackles going in, nobody shirking it, everybody knowing responsibility. You had Jamal LaSalle on the touchline, making sure he was playing a part by trying to stop that throwing. Just absolutely fantastic, and look, uh, this is why this is why I keep saying I really don't want this World Cup break because I just want to see that Newcastle team every single week just continuing to do it. Just fun watching just, Newcastle United play, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's it's remarkable to be going into games, not fearing these big teams, knowing that Newcastle are going to go and give anyone and everyone a, a game, and they're feeling confident that they can pick up maximum points in every single game. And we see how long is it's. How long has it been since we've been able to say that? But again, I go back to the point, it's only been 12 months. I can't... It, it, it blows my mind. When you do take a step back and you consider how far Newcastle have come in this time, it's just... It's utterly bizarre. It, it's it's funny, you know, every time we're in these press comments with Eddie Howe, you know, another stat comes up or, you know, they've won again and I, I, I try and do it and I try to do it on Saturday. Journalists try... I feel like we try to get a bit out of them and we actually try and get them to acknowledge what he's done. Um, and every time he, he just, it's as if he just does not want to stop and think about the job he's doing. And, and on Saturday, it was the first time Howard went 10 games unbeaten in the Premier League as a manager. And still his response was, nah, but you know, the focus is He's always been a manager, hasn't he, that keeps his feet on the ground. Even at yeah. Bournemouth when it was going so well, he always kept his feet on the ground. But for me, he's done such a good job. He's He's got so much credit in the bank. He, he's instantly you feel he's in that bracket of, of Keegan and, and Robson. And someone made a good point on Twitter the other day that apparently in the strawberry, 
they they made everyone be quiet so they could listen to how's post match team talk now. How many times have you've seen that? Certainly you know, not the Bruce or even Rafa. So there's a part of me that just wants Eddie to just, you know, just for a split second acknowledge what he's done and think, you know what, I have transformed this entire football club. But he, but he won't. Do but it. you do wonder because I, I I would think as soon as the manager lets himself do that. Yeah. That creeps into the dressing room, and then you suddenly get Bruno maybe thinking, "Oh, I am this class player." Trippy, I think, and I'm not saying that would happen, but that's yeah. the risk you have. So I think anyhow, keeping a lid on it, on his own personal achievements, is probably the best thing because you don't want that sneaking in the dressing room and, and you know a player thinking, "Well, I've done all this. I'm the reason we're, we're this good." You want that whole unity running through where you know you're only as good as your last win and you're only as good as the man sitting next to you yeah you, know, you saw it with the manager of the month he got that he got the whole team yeah. of their staff members in a photograph you know and that was the tagline wasn't it? united or whatever it was on the club official account and i thought that was a really nice touch again it's not about eddie howe yeah it's about everyone to the side of him yeah. you know working as one yeah and look i completely i completely understand why he's doing it and, and as you say the minute you start you know, reflecting on what they've done, the eye can be taken off the ball, which is what he doesn't want to do. But, you know, personally, I hope he does realise, you know, the change he's made to this football club, um, even if he won't admit it to us publicly. We've got John here saying, only City and Arsenal, uh, he feels, has the edge on Newcastle. And we're getting, oh, I've, I've lost it now, we're getting closer to them. Sorry, the comments moved up. Aaron, can you can you read the rest of that? We're getting closer to them by the month. Credit to Arsenal for a bit of a surprise. Package this season, but don't fear them though. Again, it's that last bit. I think that stands out. Newcastle just do not fear anybody. Yeah, they don't look home or away. We've seen it this season. They their mantra doesn't change. Their game plan doesn't change, and that is let's give it to them and, and let's give it a good go. And look, so far it's worked a treat. It's worked absolutely brilliantly. Um, I mean, what what Aaron do you think can be achieved this season given where Newcastle United are? We, we've talked about that too early. Talk about the title, but I mean. A lot of people in the comments saying top four is a real possibility. Is the Champions League really a possibility or is it going to have to, this season, it's going to have to tail off at some point? Look, we, we keep thinking that at some point it's going to tail off and it doesn't, as I touched on earlier, ever since Feb, they just seem to keep riding this wave and, and how seems to be able to keep this consistency going. I think if you look at the other teams, as, as John's mentioned there in the comments, Arsenal and City look very, very good. Arsenal really are the surprise package, I think, behind Newcastle. But apart from that, Manchester United are very hit and miss under Ten Hag. They, they've got the, you know, they've they've got a, the ability to sort of have these games where they just ship goals. We saw it against Villa last week, Brentford early in the season. Chelsea look bang average on uh, Saturday night. Tottenham are hit and miss under Conte. Liverpool are trying to find their feet. Newcastle might not have a better chance to actually finish in the top four, given one how well they're playing and two the teams around them struggling. I think Europe is still the aim. I think now, as I've said, I think if they were to somehow not finish in the top seven, it would be quite a disaster given how well they've played. For me, I think top six is, is the aim and I think top four is a bonus, but um, it's certainly on the cards and, and I don't think anyone expected that at the start of the season. You mentioned in the sides there, Graham Potter got a bit of stick for his comments after the Newcastle game where he pretty much said Newcastle won the day because they're not playing... Yeah. you know, Wednesday, Saturday or Wednesday, mm-hmm. Sunday. What did you make of those comments? I thought they were a little bit unfair. Well, not a little bit. I thought they were massively unfair on Newcastle. Yeah, it was, it was a very strange press conference to be in with Pottery. He was very quickly out the door. I think he answered four questions. You know, he was 
he didn't want to reflect on it too much. He, he did praise Newcastle and, and said that, you know, they don't make it easy for you. But also, he also then reverted to that that quite unusual criticism that they're only playing once a week. But as I said, you know, they've had quite a hectic schedule. Chelsea, I don't think Potter can blame on anyone else other than, you know, himself and the team from the first minute. They didn't. They just didn't look at the races. As I mentioned, he was tinkering with the, with the formations in play and it just wasn't working. And I just think... He's got all these experiments, and I'm just not sure, you know, whether it's whether it's going to work out from at Chelsea. I think fans down there are already starting to question whether it was the right appointment. And look, I think he'd be given time, but Chelsea are, are really struggling. And I think if you're going to say who's going to finish in the top four, Newcastle or Chelsea, I think it's Newcastle every day of the week at the minute. There we have it. How important is it that this fantastic run at home is continuing? Only lost to to Liverpool this year. It's a fortress. It's yeah, it's been fantastic. I think War Flags again did a good job on Saturday, and uh, Eddie Howe actually alluded to it in his in his post match press conference. He said there's something special about playing at St James's Park on a, on an evening, and I think you know fans feel that there's always a different atmosphere at these games. I don't know if it's because everyone's been out in the town during the afternoon, but it does feel like there's. I mean. I always go back to that Arsenal game at the end of last season when there was just that special feeling on the evening. And look. Long may it continue. Um, they've been fantastic at home, and and you know the clamour for season tickets is going to continue. It is, but yeah, you, you can't beat it. Beat a night game, and you mentioned their war flag is superb. As always, we have got some comments from our listeners that I asked. Uh, I asked you guys um, earlier this morning if you wanted to mention anything to myself, Aaron, to get involved. If you're watching live in the comments, do drop in any questions or takes on what we've said. Um, uh, so far so I'll dive into some of the um, questions now so uh, Ben Applebaum on Twitter says if we sign better squad depth in January who drops out of the 25 man team and where do you think we should strengthen Oof, uh, who, that's an excellent question that is a very good question um, who drops out I think you're probably looking at the likes of Dummett Richie these players who aren't getting a, a look in I think you know they've they've probably been Felt a bit aggrieved that Dan Burns came in and, and stole in that left-back spot uh, off Matt Target and left a few of them out in the cold. Um, so I think those those are the fringe players that probably go. Yet to be seen what happens with Loris Carrius now that um, Carl Darlow's back in the fold. And obviously Dubravka has not really played at Manchester United. Whether he comes back in January if they recall him, I'm not too sure. Where do they need to strengthen it's got to be a striker for me. Yeah, look, I, I think I would agree. Gibbo, we was waxing lyrical on on a, on the podcast on Thursday about Callum Wilson, but he also stressed that, you know, he doesn't see Isaac as a striker. He doesn't see Chris Wood with a long-term future at the club. Um, so I think, look, a backup striker at Wilson would, would, wouldn't go amiss. I think maybe a number 10, someone who could maybe fill in for that Willock role when he isn't playing. Um you know, we were talking about the other week, James Madison would be fantastic, but all eyes are going to be on him at the, the World Cup. It's sort of a shame that he's gone in that sense because, um, you know, imagine if he plays, he, he's he's banging form at the minute. And, you know, there's maybe, maybe one more one more defensive asset. And I'm, I'm just, every time Kieran Trippier goes down, you know, my heart's in my mouth. So maybe a backup right back as well, given that Crafts, you know, on his way at recovery, but not there yet. But look, I think, one one or two in, in January and, and they'll be all right.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think a striker is a must. He watched Chris Wood against Chelsea, and he, he you know, he did what he, what he what he did, but it wasn't stand out. He wasn't. He can't run the channels like Callum Wilson. And you guys listening and watching this will say, "Not again, Andrew." But it's you, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to make the point again. When you you play in that system, it will never work for Chris Wood. And I know the games he's played recently, Cast United have won, but I don't think anyone listening and watching this can really say Chris Wood did anything memorable against Chelsea and what you need is you need someone who can come in and just play like Callum Wilson does yeah definitely we've, we've said it plenty of times on this podcast you know that the system that how wants to play doesn't suit him and it's a shame but I think he's also burdened by this price tag you know if he came in for three million in January I don't think people would be batting an eyelid but he came in for a lot of money a lot of expectation and for whatever reason it just hasn't worked and you know, he did he did well against Southampton in the hope that he would kick on, but you know, he, he hasn't really in the last two games. I've got Roy Chovag there saying if the owners think we could qualify for Europe, I think they will strengthen the squad again in January with one or two players every transfer. And I suppose that is the big question if Newcastle, you know, go on to beat what is it, Leicester and Leeds, then what what happens in January? Do their plans change? You know, look, it's something that we've spoke about on this pod of what you know for a while and that is you know, Howe's got a lot of ammunition to go to the board in January and say, look, we just need one or two more and we're going to be real contenders this summer. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he's going into these talks in a couple of weeks' time and saying, look, we just need to eke out a little bit more um, to have a really memorable season. So I think he's going in in a very, very strong bargaining position going into Jan. Uh, Matt Wynn on Twitter says, unbelievable season so far. Nobody wants to play us, especially at St. James's Park. The whole squad is happy and contributing with key players due to come back after the break. I wonder if Howe will in, want to invest in January and potentially disrupt the harmony and cohesion, which is our main strength at the moment. And I mean, we've, we've covered it already in this episode, but spot on then. It, it's interesting as well because we've got another comment here again from Roy live on Facebook. He says that he thinks Alan St. Maxman will be replaced in January. And I think the past few weeks, alongside Matt Target potentially as well, massive test of their characters because Matt Target I think probably came in here expecting to be a first team left back he left Aston Villa because he didn't want to be behind Luca Dina Alan St Maxman this time last year was all Newcastle United fans had to cling on to because it was so down and dismal and there wasn't really someone who could win you a game he was the only man that could excite fans um, and, and, and get them off their seats everything's changed now Matt Target is not the number one choice Alan St Maxman is fit by all accounts but he's not even getting off the bench you know, and that goes onto that comment that we just had there from Mark, wasn't it, about cohesion and squad unity. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens going forward because I think if any two players not on the, not, have not a right, but if there are any two players I can see knocking on the door and going, oh, we're there, shouldn't I be, I should be in that first team. It's probably them two. Yeah, we've got to remember the second half of last season, Maxi and Target down that left were two you know, key figures and in a matter of months they're both sort of on the sidelines Matt Target as well hardly put a foot wrong since January you know he played 16 games on loan for the club last season um, before signing permanently and he was absolutely fantastic and 
he's just been unfortunate that he picked up that injury and sort of couldn't shake the niggle for a few weeks and Dan Byrne has just happened to come in at a time where the team are absolutely flying. Maxi is the interesting one because everybody everybody said about Maxi when he came in, oh look, you don't know about his personality, you don't know about his you know, his demeanour, he's sometimes a bit of trouble on the training pitch. And he actually came in and really proved everyone wrong because, you know, Howe's only had good words to say about him. Videos of him in the summer where he was really, really putting the work in to get to get fit, and it looked like he was buying into this project. But that was when you say when he was one of the main men. Now he's not, and he's fighting for that spot in the team. Look, I think I think he will, you know, put the graft in. But if he doesn't, I don't think Howe will have any um, any doubt in, in in doing what Roy thinks there and selling him and John. Um, we've got Gerald Wright saying. Castle still got a thin bench. A couple coming in should be enough to get European place. Champions League is a strong possibility and upsets three clubs that will miss out. We can break the monopoly this year. Talk of tying sides is January is a huge opportunity to improve again uh, from a position of strength. Uh, what do you think the key areas to improve on the squad? And um, we've mentioned there, me striker. I think you you agree. Who would be your ideal signings? Madison for me. But World Cup continues in the way he's been playing the league. There's an extra few million on his price tag. Strikers are harder one to bring in because although I say what we want is a, 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 a like-for-like Callum Wilson replacement, I can't actually think of one off the top yeah, of my head. they're hard to find, aren't they? And I think, you know, the, the players that you sort of think of in the same bracket, maybe Ivan Tony, but he's going to cost a lot of money for, you know, a club that he left for, for pittance. And he also, is he going to want to come and sit on the bench buying Callum Wilson? I don't think so. So look up. I'm not sure what they'll do in January in terms of a striker because you've got to, we you know we seem to forget that Isaac is coming back. Does he keep trying him in as that you know out and out number nine, which we don't think he, he probably suits at the minute, or does he just you know move him elsewhere and get in another striker? It'll be interesting to see what they actually do on that front with him coming back. It'll be interesting as well. We've got Jamie here asking how long will Isaac uh, be out for, but a lot of people, myself included, feel he is he is stronger Isaac coming off the wide and that adds another element into the future of Alan St. Maximum because um, I mean if everyone's fit those two aren't necessarily in the starting 11 anyway yeah. because Joe Linton has been playing a little bit a bit further forward um, and then if you know one of those do do come in is it St. Maximum is it Isaac it, it's it's such an interesting dilemma to talk about really interesting I mean it, look it's very very positive we're talking about a 60 million pound striker who might not even get in the team come January so shows how far they've come but look yeah very interesting to see what he does you know we were obviously talking about it a few months ago when he first signed for the club whether he would play in a sort of in a partnership with Wilson I don't think that's going to be the case because you know how hasn't changed course one bit this season with, in terms of his formation. So very very interesting to see who he comes in for, and and you know whether Miggy can actually hold down this spot in the second half of the season. Never in any doubt. <laughs> Never in any doubt. I mean, we haven't. It's, it's amazing we've we've taken how long is it? Thirty eight minutes there to get to Miguel Almiron. Has John Gibson decided to submit his application yet for the Miguel Almiron fan club? Yeah, I think it's in. I think the last two weeks I've been you know asking him about it and he seems fully on board. I think he's he's very keen to see Miggy continue this form, I think, before he, before he fully, I mean, fully accepts it. He's been doing it for the last nine or ten weeks. I know, but I, I think John Gibson's seen a lot of players who have potentially been flashing the pans. I think he's uh, he wants to see it continue. But yeah, look, I think, you know, I can't believe we've went this long as well without talking about Miggy. Um, 
who actually probably had one of his quieter games of recent uh, on Saturday, but look, he was still fantastic. He did well for the goal for Willick. Um, you know it's going well when even your bad touch leads to an yeah, assist. Exactly, just everything he touches at the minute just turned into goals. So yeah, look, fantastic, and and I don't think I will be in any mood to drop him. Uh, in December or January because of how well he's been playing even when Isaac and, and Maxi are back and it's interesting because when that Joe Willick goal went in so I was watching it uh, at home and I, I, you know, I jumped up screaming and what have you and my better half turns to me and goes why are Newcastle so good now because <laughs> since we've, we've been together Newcastle have been goddamn awful apart from the last yeah, nine months or so and I guess maybe you've had the same conversation with your bit half and there'll be plenty of people watching and listening who've had the same conversation with their partners friends you know family members just why are Newcastle so good and I've been thinking about this question and I said at the time it's it's hard to pin down one answer and a few days later I'm still struggling if you were going to say to me give me one reason why Newcastle are doing so well I, I couldn't give you one reason because everything rolls in everything rolls in to each other, doesn't it? The takeover. Without without the takeover, there'd be no Eddie Howe. Without Eddie Howe, there probably wouldn't be so many players doing so well. It, uh, wh- why? Can you answer that question? I mean, Lily's got me stumped there. That's a very good question for me. I can see why you married her. Um, look, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, look, I think if I had to single out one thing, it's Eddie Howe. I mean, yes, look, he said he would have taken the job and the mic. Actually, he probably wouldn't have got you know the type of signings that he has. But I think what he's done on the training pitch, on the pitch, the way he's changed the feeling in the city, the way he's changed, you know, the belief in the dressing room, which for so many years has just been, you know, quite defeatist at times, you know, we'll just take this defeat, we'll take this game, sorry, and accept defeat and move on. I think he's been the catalyst for so much good that's happened in the last 12 months. But as you say, without him, uh, sorry, without the takeover, would he be in this position without the likes of Bruno and Botman coming in? Would they be um, third in the table? I don't think they would have been so... Yeah, but I think Lil's got me stumped there, unfortunately. If you're watching live on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, just drop it in the comments your number one reason for why Newcastle United are doing so good at the moment, and uh, I'll put them to Aaron. You mentioned there Sven Botman didn't get into the Dutch squad. He plays. He played really well against Chelsea. Um, how does he come back from that? I mean, he knows he's young enough to get into the next two or three, doesn't he? Yeah, look, he's got time on his side, and... One thing I will say is that if Sven Botman's not getting in that World Cup squad, Holland are got to be in the chance of winning it because they must have some fantastic central defenders. Look, it was it was always going to be hard for him to get in that squad because of basically of him pulling out last time for the under-21s. I don't think that went down very well with Louis van Hall and the Dutch coaches for him saying that he was going to prioritise Newcastle. But you've hit the nail on the head. You know He's young enough that he's got many, many Euros ahead of him. Van Dijk and... Um, you know, other defenders aren't going to have, you know, the run of the mill for the next couple of years. So I've got no doubt that in a couple of years' time, he'll be an absolute mainstay in that Dutch team. And I think for Newcastle United, um, it's a big bonus because less chance of him getting injured. He can have, you know, another couple of months with Eddie, uh, another month or so with Eddie Howe in the team. And he left that Dutch squad last time to prioritise Newcastle. And ever since then, he's been playing out of his skin. So... Yeah, I'm not, not too cut up about him not going. And yet the first defeat in Newcastle is Van Bottom. And we've got Brian Crossy there saying, Eddie Howe, 100% the reason for why Newcastle are doing so well. And just on the other couple of players who maybe were a bit unfortunate not to make it into their uh, international squads for the World Cup, Dan Byrne, a lot of people were tipping as the wild card. I always thought that was a little bit uh, too far, simply because of what we've discussed here in the show. Gareth Southgate doesn't really pick players. Mm. He doesn't know. Um, and Joe Linton as well. 
You know, I felt, you know, as I have done all season, he's been Newcastle's most consistent performer. I think Bruno has been brilliant, but I feel Joe Linson has been consistent, which yeah. is a different kind of praise, isn't it? And um, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of that Brazilian Brazil squad, um, but I felt just watching Joe Linton unlucky not to be in that squad. Yeah, look, I think I think Joe Linton's probably been penalised because of the strength of that squad. I think you look at that midfield and you've already got Bruno, Casemiro, Fred, and look, many people on social media have been saying that Joe Linton's better than Fred, but Fred has been in that Brazil squad a long time. He knows TA very well. Um, and then you just look at the other players they've got, you know, I mean, Lucas Paqueta and all that. There's a, a very, very broad pool of talent in that Brazil squad. So I don't think it's any, you know, criticism of Joe Linton that he didn't get in. He's, he's just been a bit unlucky. I think Dan Byrne, I, I agree, was always sort of a long shot and none of us were really, you know, expecting him to be nailed on in the squad. But you always thought with the fullback issues they were having and his versatility that he might sneak in. Um, and look, he's been he's been playing out of his skin. He's been one of the most consistent performers alongside Joe Linton. So I think he, he will be unlucky. And I think he does seem a bit cut up about it. He spoke about it at the weekend and said he really felt he had something to offer. And I think he could have... Um, but it's just a shame that he won't be going as well. We've got El Stippen saying Botman's face it in the game with a win and a clean sheet showed he's over it, i.e. not getting to the Dutch squad. Uh, Hoss saying for the main the main reason for me we're, we're doing so well is because the players now believe their careers can be great with trophies and success because they're at a club who want to be at the top. Ian says there's a feel-good factor from top to bottom in terms of investment Changed the fortunes for the better as long as Eddie sticks with it. No big ego players and handpicks who he wants. He's on to a winner. Totally agree with that comment, Ian. Um, sticking with some of the picks for the World Cup, Nick Pope in. Been absolutely fantastic. Some really good saves again um, against Chelsea. And, and what I like is that he's not actually ever that busy for Newcastle United. But when he's called upon, which does happen every two or three uh, times in a game, he's just there and he's brilliant and we know Gareth Southgate really likes Jordan Pickford but Jordan Pickford had a little bit of a mare against Crystal Palace um, can Nick Pope be England's number one come that first game? I mean look I know we're biased but for me he should be number one I think look a lot, a lot of people talk about the fact that he's not very good with his feet uh, you know obviously Pickford's very very good with his distribution but I've never seen Nick Pope make a mistake with his feet for Newcastle very very rarely that he did it with Burnley so think it's unfair that you know he sort of gets penalised for that but for me I think he's a better shot stopper than Pickford and, I, and if better I was, focus yeah look and I think he's more consistent as you say Pickford's always got a mistake and then we you know we saw it on Saturday we've seen it earlier this season Pope especially in Newcastle shirt has been you know as consistent as anyone and I thought you know he had very little to do on um, for a large stage of the game on Saturday but that save from Conor Gallagher just before Newcastle went up the other end and scored was absolutely critical so Really pleased that he is in the squad. Really pleased for him on a personal level because, you know, he's a he's a very very humble humble man and he's worked very hard to get in that team. So yeah, really hope that he gets a good good few minutes at the World Cup. It could be an interesting one to see who does start between the sticks for England. Uh, John says is the main reason not our new owners. We only want a club that tries. We've ended up with much more than that. If Mike or the owners were in, in charge, would Eddie be riding so high? Very, very interesting uh, question. There's Aaron says, um, Eddie Howe has said previously we would have taken the job under Mike Ashley. I'm going to get you, Aaron, to read Roy's comment out as well because it's gone off my screen, but I know you can put it on there. Yeah, Roy says, it's all up to Eddie Howe and the staff. We are now not afraid to keep all the ball and passing. 
too many years we've had watching the players just doing long balls. Yeah, I mean, one of those games was against Chelsea, and I mentioned it quite often when it was a basically a training game for Chelsea, wasn't yeah. it? It was awful to watch, but again, Saturday, probably a mark of how far Newcastle United had come. You were going in expecting Newcastle to, to get a draw at the very least, going in as favourites, and even when Chelsea stepped it up slightly, you would you never feel Newcastle were going to chuck it away, and that is a remarkable thing to say. I'm going to ask you this question because, again, after watching that game against Chelsea, are Newcastle United the best pressing team in the Premier League? Yes, bar none, bar absolute none. I think um, we saw it against Tottenham really, really well, um, and we saw it on display on Saturday. Just the press from the front is just. And this, we always go back, I feel like every week I'm saying it about Sean Longstaff, but he was fantastic on Saturday night and it's because he just grafts and grafts and grafts from the front. Even Chris Wood looked, you know, we we, we criticise him, but he was trying to press from the front. He wasn't giving Chalabar and, and Thiago Silva any time on the ball. They weren't giving many, Mendy any time on the ball. So, you know, he did play a big part in that win. But I think... I don't think there's a better team that presses from the front in it's, the Premier it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Because you just have to watch one or two games if you're the opposition manager and you know what Newcastle are going to do. They're going to chase you down like there's no tomorrow. And yet a big team like Chelsea with all their options, they struggled. I mean, Mendy was just flapping every time he had the ball his feet because, like you say, Chris Wodeke, he might not have ran the channels when Newcastle had the ball, but he was running at the defence and trying to close them down. It was working really well. Miggy doing what Miggy does. And... It's it's quite something that it's got the stage now where the opposition can do as much homework as they like, as much prep as they like on the training pitch. But it, that only goes so far because Newcastle United have just got that extra level commitment, fitness, and you can't really you can't really counter that. Yeah, look, you know they've came up against a lot of teams this season that really like to play out from the back. Chelsea being one of them when you know they go with three centre backs and they just did not give them a minute to breathe. And I think. What works so well about it is that it's not just Chris Wood pressing. You know that the two or three men behind him all know their job so that when Chris Wood presses at the front, they've got to go with the men that are trying to get that ball off him. And, and that's why Longstaff and Bruno and Willock have done so well in recent weeks because they all know their role off the ball. I like it when someone kind of goes out of position or goes to close someone down. You don't instantly have someone coming in to fill in the gap, especially in the full-back area, which is really refreshing to see it sounds so basic but it didn't always happen at Newcastle United it doesn't always happen in every team but everyone seems to know you know this is your primary position this is your secondary this is your third and so on if someone goes you've got to cover they're just all working together aren't they yeah and the beauty of the press box being so close to the touchlines that we hear everything Eddie Howe says and obviously him and Tyndall never take their seat they're always on the touchline and they're always Tyndall especially always barking instructions that if somebody has forgot their role you know, they've only forgot it for a couple of seconds before Tyndall or Howe are saying, this is where you need to be. We said after that Spurs game that it was the biggest win, and, or I said anyway, it was the biggest win under Eddie Howe. It's strange to sit here and say that it was a great win against Chelsea. But it, for me, it doesn't seem to carry the same weight as that win against Spurs. And I don't know if it's because I, I wasn't there. I, I don't know what it is. It's a great win. And I guess, is that a mark of how far Newcastle United have come where you're looking at that and you're saying, great performance against Chelsea, great win. That's just what Newcastle United do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's just be- it's just becoming run-of-the-mill now, isn't it? I think we're just becoming too too normalised to it. I-, I think Tottenham was Tottenham was different because, look, you were away from home. 
Um, you know, you scored two very early goals and, you know, they're a team that are doing quite well at the time. Whereas Chelsea, as I've said, Chelsea just weren't at the races and maybe that's why the Tottenham one feels bigger. But as I say, we're sort of downplaying the fact that they've beaten Chelsea at home and beaten them quite comfortably and played them off the park. So maybe we're just coming, you know, too desensitised to Eddie Howe's genius, maybe. We're talking about the brilliance of Newcastle and the Premier League, the brilliance at Newcastle at home, and they've got a cup draw to come and then just after the World Cup. I mean, let's first of all, well, obviously they play Bournemouth, don't they, St James's Park in the next round of the League Cup, but the fact that's so close to the end of the World Cup is absolutely baffling. Yeah, and, and another thing that's a bit confusing, obviously they, they organised this Vallecano friendly well before they, you know, they knew that they were through the next round, but there's only two or three days in between those two fixtures at St James's Park, so it'll be interesting to see um, who he plays in that friendly as, as as to whether he gives them you know forty five minutes and then swaps it or whether he just plays um, the players that aren't, aren't going to play in that cup game. But I don't attempt fate, but Newcastle United have got a huge chance of going far in that competition. We've already seen Arsenal go out. We've already seen Tottenham go out. Um, Liverpool and Manchester City play each other. Newcastle have got a nice home draw uh, in the next round. Huge chance to go far in that competition. Could be Marcelo Bielsa's first game in charge of Bournemouth if he Potentially, signs up. Yeah. An interesting one, but yeah, big big opportunity for Newcastle to uh, to get to get to a final. And are you backing them to do so? Oh, too early. Too early to say. I, I, if you've taught me anything over the last couple of months, I said I need to keep my feet on the ground, and that's what I'm going to do. I think they've got a fantastic chance. Um, does he start to play stronger? I know that the side he played was relatively strong anyway, but does he? Because what we usually see with these big teams, and uh, you know, I count Newcastle in this because of where they are in the league, you usually start to see as they get closer to that semi-final, that final, they just start adding in a little bit more of their better quality of players. Yeah, I, th- I think they will. Look, he's gone relatively strong in the competition so far. He said he's going to give it a good go. You know, he's already talked about how it's his dream to win a competition at Newcastle. And I think this is why January is so important because if they want to also have a run at the top four and you know go deep in the League Cup and we haven't even started talking about the FA Cup either, they're going to need a good you know amount of rotation and that is where one or two bodies in January does the trick. Um, so look, I'm not going to say that they're going to win it. Matthew Raisbeck actually last week said that he thought Newcastle were going to win the League Cup. Big um, claim. Big claim, a huge claim for a, for a Monday podcast. But no, I think I'm going to say that they've got a huge chance, but I'm not getting excited just yet. Um, we've got some more comments here from our listeners. Graham Townsley says, only worry is the back of the season, the back end of the season, we may run out of legs. Rafa Benitez would always be fit for the back end of the season and seem fitter than other teams. Does the break help us in this scenario? So he's right. Benitez's sides were always renowned for really finishing strongly. Mm-hmm. What I, I mean, you look at it how Newcastle are now, I'd much rather be in this position where they've started the season strongly and you know they're not, Chasing. They're not chasing. They're not saying, right, by the time we get to March or April, we'll be stronger and fitter than most teams um, around us. Um, I think you, you play for the here and now. And I get what Graham's saying. Yeah, you may run out of steam. But I also think the players have got, and I know a lot of them win that Rafa side, I think they're just fitter. And I think it's the it's the difference between how Rafa Benitez approached this Newcastle United squad and how Eddie Howe has approached it. Um you know, it's just the belief that actually these players are good enough. And we, we criticise Steve Bruce for things he said about the squad, but 
I think a little bit falls at the, 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 the feet of Rafa Benitez as well. Did he believe enough in these players? I'm not so sure he did. Um, and that's the difference. Eddie Howe believes that these players can be the very best um, that they can be. Yeah, look, Rafa did a lot of good things and, you know, he always wanted a bit more, but that was always the problem, wasn't it? He, it probably wasn't the best to hear in the dressing room that Benitez was on the radio again asking for more funds or better players. And, I mean, even when the signed Manquillo, I remember there was a bit of a signed Manquillo and pretty much said he'd signed him because he didn't, he didn't have the money to bring in anyone else. So that's what you don't get ready, how is it? As, as, much as, as much as we love Rafa for what he did and he wanted, you know, things to be better for us in a time where... You know, we didn't have much hope. Eddie Howe isn't like that. You would never hear him say anything about that, about Javier Manquillo or any other player. So I think that's where the, the two of them differ. And Liam Noel says, uh, a huge game against Chelsea for Willett Longstaff. And he thinks Joe Linton covered for Bruno, who may be tired or worried about the World Cup, but he wasn't, wasn't at his best. What do you think of Bruno's performance? Uh, look, I thought it was all right. I think I don't think he was, you know, at his brilliant best but I think you know as Liam touched on there a lot of players will have had in the back of their mind we can't get injured and I know for me personally sitting in that stand watching every time Bruno went down I was just keeping my fingers crossed that he got back up because a lot of players I mean this just goes to show the ludicrous nature of having a tournament smack bang in the middle of the season because you had players you know Callum Wilson we were talking about before the game if the World Cup was still three weeks later would Callum Wilson have sorted that game I think he would have but you can't take that risk when he's just got an England squad. So um, there was probably a bit of that playing in Bruno's mind, but I thought he did well. I thought, you know, he, he won a lot of fouls in the middle of the park, as yours does, and and didn't give Chelsea an inch. So, yeah, I thought it was an all right performance. Mm. And um, we just talked a bit about the World Cup, and we'll talk more about the World Cup over the, over the coming weeks because we'll still have a Monday show. Um, but I suppose with Newcastle being in this position, and we know that plans for January will already be underway, it's a, a good opportunity to really scout some of the, the, the best players. Yeah, well, uh, Kieran Kelly asked how pretty much that question last week and said, will he be using the World Cup to, to have a cast nine? And how surprisingly said, yes, with the will. And it's always a good opportunity. Saves the um, plane ticket, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. You just turn on the TV. Exactly. Four, four games a day, you can't complain. Um, so look, they'll, they'll definitely have eyes on the World Cup. I think there's probably some big name players that... You know, looking to impress. You always get a couple of standouts, don't you, at these tournaments who earn a way uh, in the Premier League. I'm pretty sure Daryl Yarmat did that, didn't he? Had a fantastic World Cup and then and then joined or, or Euros. So yeah, they'll they'll have an eye on it and and it might actually in, in, impact their January signings. Howe's already came out and said that you know they haven't started discussions for January, so he doesn't know how much he's got to spend or who they're going to bring in. But um, it'll definitely be on the on the agenda in December. I'm excited for the World Cup. You know what it is? I wasn't I wasn't excited. I was quite pessimistic about it and I thought, who wants to go and watch England Iran when it's snowing? But as the as the World Cup gets closer, I am actually looking forward to it, purely because I, I don't know what I'd do without six weeks of football. But and the fact that England have got three Newcastle players will make it easier to watch as well. Yes, I think that's the key, isn't it? We can do a Callum Wilson watch yeah, or exactly. a, well, that might be one from the bench or a Kieran yeah. Trippier yeah, <laughs> watch. It's gonna be really it's great it's refreshing to be coming into this break knowing that we will have players to actually cover and things to write about, things to talk about and not uh, maybe just fill in space, as we never did anyway in the last tournament, but you get what I mean. Um, Well, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. I've been Andy Musgrove, joined as per by Aaron Stokes. Thank you very much for tuning in on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Hit that subscribe button if you're over on YouTube. If you're listening later on the podcast channel, please remember to like the podcast, leave us a rating and review as well. Just helps us get the 
episode out to a wider audience. We appreciate you listening. As always, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including a scathing opinion piece by Aaron Stokes here on Cristiano Ronaldo and what it tells us about Eddie Howe's approach to transfers at Newcastle United. Once again, thank you very much for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>